You know, as Christians, we should uh, live our lives with a willingness to forgive. We should actually be looking for the opportunity to forgive someone who has caused us injury or committed an offense against us. As we continue on here, though, we will learn that there are rules, rules, if you will, for forgiveness. There are rules for forgiveness. There must be certain things in place in order for forgiveness to have any meaning at all. We will see that the idea for forgiving without our offender seeking our forgiveness is stretching the idea of forgiveness into an area that is not scripturally correct. Another notion that is not correct is that we should just forgive someone and then forget the offense. Even God does not forget an offense. He just does not charge the offense against us when we seek forgiveness. Let's take a look at what all is meant here. What does forgiveness require? What does forgiveness require? It is good for us to go about our lives ready and willing to forgive those who fault us. How we do that, however, is not immediately clear if we do not look at what Scripture has to say. Should we just forgive and forget? The answer to that is no. We are not required to relieve ourselves of our own good common sense in this area. If we forgive and forget the offense of someone against us, we are likely to have that same person cause that same offense against us. The same reasoning applies to forgiving someone without them or without their uh, seeking our forgiveness. This subject is an important one and it is one that Jesus addressed with his disciples in Luke chapter 17 verses 1 through 4. He says it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he sh uh, should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now Jesus is telling his disciples here that offenses will come. There will be people who will cause offenses against you. And he adds in that first verse, but woe unto him through whom they come. In this section, he is speaking about those who offend, one of these little ones. Now Matthew 18, 1 through 6 says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were uh, drowned in the depth of the sea. Now Jesus had called the little child to himself and put the child in the middle of the group. He instructed them that unless they converted and became as little children, they would not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just as Jesus humbled himself and became man, 
we must humble ourselves and become as little children in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We then see from what we read that verse 6 here in Matthew 18 and verse 2 of Luke 17 are talking about the same thing. Now Luke 17 goes on with what we are uh, looking at and Luke 17 3 begins our instruction of forgiveness. And forgiveness, a biblical principle, in Luke 17, 3, it says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. These are rules for forgiveness. Notice here, Jesus is telling his disciples to take heed to yourselves. This is something that needs to be paid attention to. If there's an offense, then you must start with rebuking the offender. Notice it does not say that uh, you should just forgive him. Those who do are jumping the gun. It requires rebuke first. Rebuke is defined in this way. To chide, to reprove, to reprehend for a fault, to check by reproof. Now, the last part of this first definition, to check by reproof, Scripture is always the best source of information and definitions of scriptural topics or words. Jesus tells his disciples exactly what the idea of reproof is in Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, the person who calls a trespass has a choice. They can either repent of the offense or not repent. Both of these scenarios are covered in Scripture. Jesus said in verse 15, If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. It should be noted here, too, that you should go and tell the person who trespassed against you and not tell anyone else about it. In other words, you don't go gossiping in the church or at home or anywhere else telling people what's going on and Jesus tells them go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone that is the first step Matthew 18 16 through 17 shows us how to handle the one who does not respond to our reproof but if he will not hear take you or take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now these words are ones that go completely against the grain of many of the professing Christians in the world today. At least that's the way they talk anyway. In this world of can't we all just get along mentality, this section is overlooked completely. If you love someone, then sometimes you have to do those things which uh, may make you feel a bit uncomfortable at first. If the person who trespasses against you will not repent when you reprove him or them, then scripture tells us to do so in the presence of two or three witnesses so that every word, every word may be established. If this person still will not respond to the reproof, 
then you tell it unto the church. If the trespasser continues in his way, not repenting, then you are to treat him as a heathen man and a republican. In other words, he is no longer welcome. As we will see later, if this person should come to repent, then you need to forgive him. Going back to Luke 17, we need to look at verse 4, and this will refine the process even more for us. As we see verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now Jesus is telling his disciples here that as often as this person may trespass against you and repents, then you are to forgive him on every occasion. Interestingly, Jesus uses the example of being trespassed against seven times in a day and seven times repenting, then seven times forgiveness is to be granted. So we see that in order for forgiveness to be granted, there must be repentance. Is there a limit to forgiveness? Let's look at Matthew 18, 21 through 22. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? And I forgive him up to seven times. And Jesus said unto him, I say unto you, not unto seven times, but until 70 times seven. And most scripture says 70 times seven, and it comes up 490 times. But we're gonna look at this from a different perspective here in a minute. And we're gonna see that it means infinity. Now we notice here that Peter has not quite got the idea yet. In a sense, Peter is asking Jesus, so I only have to forgive my brother seven times in a day? And Jesus responds to him in verse 22. The King James Version of the Bible is the only Bible around where you will find the truth that we are about to discover here. None of the new translations from the early 1900s to the present have this verse like the King James Bible does. This is to their discredit, as we shall see when Jesus responds as recorded here in the King James Version of the Bible, he does so with the word until, and both cases it is capitalized. Why is this so important? Why is it important that this word is capitalized? It is important because by not using the word until with small letter, and not capitalizing it, you will miss the meaning behind it. Every other translation leaves out the word until and comes to a wrong conclusion about this verse. Now the English Standard Version even goes as far as to put in their comment section where it says 70 times seven, and they put down the bottom 77. And that's not what that means there. Every other translation turns this verse into a finite number of times we are to forgive our brother. But as we have even seen before, this is not the case. The greatest majority of the new versions turn this into forgiving your brother 490 times or 70 times seven. And like I just said, the ESV even goes on to corrupt this by somehow saying this means 77 times, where they put the two 70 and seven, 70 plus seven, 77 times. If you go to any of the new translations, you will find a footnote describing the number in this verse. To properly understand this verse, you will need to rightly divide the word of truth. 
the word until is capitalized in both cases because Jesus is quoting someone in each case. When Jesus says, I say not unto thee until seven times, because he is quoting Peter here, who just asked if they were to uh, their brother seven times. And Jesus then quotes Daniel when he says the second occurrence of the capitalized word until. And so we need to take a look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Okay, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Okay, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. Okay, now pay attention to that. And to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, what do you think this is talking about? This is talking about the day of Jesus coming back and he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. He's going to anoint the most holy, which is him and so forth. And, and Gabriel is telling Daniel and says, we see here that Daniel is being told by Gabriel that 70 weeks are to turn upon thy people. Okay, this is Israel. A week and seven days. So this 70 weeks is the same as 70 times seven. And in this case, we know that you're talking about years, so it's 490 years in the case with Daniel. And so this is the verse Jesus was quoting when he responded to Peter. As you may uh, know, 69 of these weeks have been fulfilled already, and the 70th, 70th week is waiting to happen. So this is what we're waiting for that 70th week is the great tribulation. Some people say it's only three and a half uh, years of tribulation and the other three and a half years is preparation. Whatever the case, there's a week, the 70th week of Daniel hasn't occurred yet because this is what, what uh, Paul referred to in his, his uh, epistles as the dispensation of God's grace. So we are saved by God's grace in this period by believing on Jesus Christ. So this is not for the church, but for the nation of Israel. Okay? This is for the nation of Israel. Because Gabriel said, thy people, that's Israel. So this 70th week is what is known as a time of Jacob's trouble. It is what we read about as the time described in the book of Revelations. So what exactly does Jesus mean then when he says to Peter that they are to forgive their brother until 70 times 7. It means that until the 70th, 70th week is completed as told to Daniel by Gabriel, you are to continue forgiving your brother where, whenever he repents. Notice what the rest of Daniel 9.24 says about this period of time. It says these 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, which is Jerusalem, to, number one, finish the transgression. Number two, make an end of sin. Number three, make reconciliation for iniquity. Uh, number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up the vision and the prophecy. And number six, to anoint the most holy. When these 70 weeks are completed, 
there will no longer be a need to forgive anyone because there will no longer be any effects of the transgression. There will be no more sin. Iniquity will be reconciled and there will be everlasting righteousness as prophesied because Jesus will be anointed as king. What we get out of this then is there are in a sense two limits to forgiveness and that only during this time before those 70 weeks are completed. One limit is whether the person to be forgiven will repent. The second is the willingness of the person doing the forgiving will do so. Both require us to act in a way that is pleasing to God. In one respect, we need to recognize that if we trespass against someone, we need to seek forgiveness by repenting. On the other hand, we must, as we stated in the beginning of this study, be walking in the spirit of forgiveness. The thing that brings it all together and puts the whole study into its perspective, we only need to consider the relationship of forgiveness between us and God. Okay, God forgave us of our sins because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And we find in John 3.16, which everybody knows this, this verse, it goes on into 17. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we know that through Jesus, the world was saved. We are saved because of what Jesus accomplished on his cross. Now, God recognized our need to be saved and be forgiven. And we should all be thankful that he did. A thought that seems to be more prevalent these days is that God will just forgive all of us, whether we repent or not. As we see here, our forgiveness requires action on our part. It requires us to believe on the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. If we believe, then we do not perish, but receive everlasting life. The love of God is such that he has provided us the way to everlasting life. He did this because we could not save ourselves. But it requires repentance on our part. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This shows that if we do not receive the gift of eternal life from God through Jesus Christ our Lord, we will earn death. God gave us the free gift of salvation, and all we have to do is believe on Jesus to receive this free gift. We read earlier from Luke that forgiveness requires repentance. If we do not repent of our sins to God, we shall perish. This is not my own statement, but told to us by Jesus. Consider what he said in Luke 13, verses 2 through 5. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, 
but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We are all sinners needing to repent of our sins and believe on Jesus. Will you repent and be forgiven? Ask yourself, will you forgive others when they repent of sins against you? Remember now that God did not send his only begotten son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. It is true that the consequences of sin can affect us in this life, but the guilt of that sin is gone forever when we repent of that sin to God. He always forgives us of our sins when we repent and thereby seek that forgiveness. A famous psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, said that if he could convince his patients in psychiatric hospitals that they are forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the, uh, the door the next day. Forgiveness is a powerful tool that we have in our arsenal and one we should not only practice providing but also willing to receive. My friends, forgiveness is one of the things that we have that we need to give to our fellow man because God gave it to us. And in order for us to understand the importance of forgiving others, we have to realize and understand what it costs God to forgive us. It costs God his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So in saying that, we need to understand that the Lord Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross say, made it, uh, made it uh, able for, God, for us to be saved uh, through God's grace and by the shedding of his blood that he was a perfect sacrifice and no other sacrifice is ever going to be needed. I thank you for being here today. I thank you for listening. I hope that uh, we learned something today about forgiveness. I know that, that I did as I uh, studied this to, to bring it to you. And the thing I learned was about na Daniel 9, uh, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 24. And I think it was pretty significant that until, with a capitalization, is a symbol of a divine, divinely saying, until meaning there's no end to it uh, as long as we're in that period of time of God's grace until the 70th week of Daniel then we are able and have to forgive our fellow man as God forgave us so search your heart search your heart and all the things it's done and forgive those who uh, had injustices against you or had caused you hurt and pain uh, find a way in your heart to forgive them. Seek their forgiveness, and uh, and it will help you in your spiritual growth and bring you closer to God.